Well, just as I thought. A mangy shoe salesman and a chronically unemployed aging pretty boy. <laughs> Have them thrown off the property immediately. Jeez, I can't believe she said that. <laughs> Me either. Aging? <laughs> now, Redford, that's aging. Huh? Let's rock. Thanks, Dad. Can I get a open? No Man Presents, live from the nudie bar, the Married with Children Podcast. Welcome back to the Married with Children Podcast. This is Luigi. And my stomach is so empty right now that the only thing in it is a commemorative Slim Jim left over from Super Bowl Twelve. <laughs> and I'm Alga, and I just died and went to the land of milk and honeys. <laughs> Hi, and I'm Sheila, and I think it's unprofessional for agents to date their clients. All right there, Million Man March. <laughs> <laughs> We are reviewing Season 10, Episode 9, The Two That Got Away. Original air date, November 19, 1995. Alan Jefferson go away for the weekend to a fishing lake in upstate Wisconsin. But when they arrive at the fishing lodge, they are rudely told to leave when Shannon Tweed, a famous B-movie actress and former Playboy playmate, has taken their reservation. But when the guys arrive home, they discover that Jefferson had inadvertently snapped a photo of Shannon seducing the lodge owner in a hot tub as the reason why they were kicked off the property. As payback, Alan Jefferson decide to throw a tabloids auction to see which magazine will get the photo. Meanwhile, Bud casts Lucky the dog in a dog food commercial, but Lucky will only act unless Kelly performs the scene first. Director, Amanda Bierce. Writers, Al Adekman. Special guest stars, Shannon Tweed as herself, Joey Segal as Randolph, Leland Orser as the director, Alden Milliken as the trash, I've got who that is, <laughs> Shay Marks as Inga, Donna DeErico as Helga, Jasmine Paul as Star Disher, Joey Dente as Daily Scandal, Mary Harper Jones as Stage Mom, Lucky the Dog as Lucky the Dog, Kevin Schoen as the TV announcer, and Kim Weisskopf as the voice of Lucky. Al's got a nude photo of Shannon Tweed, and she'll do anything to get it back. If you weren't married. Oh, I'm not married. On Married with Children, coming up next. So welcome back, everyone. And today we have a special guest co-host, Sheila. Sheila, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so two weeks ago on the podcast, the fans got to hear sort of someone who I had done a little stroll down memory lane with on Married with Children World, which was Mr. B from my high school. So this week we have another friend of mine from high school, Sheila, who... I would say you're not a rabid Married with Children fan, but, you know, you you did like it back in the day. Yeah, I have an appreciation for it. And, you know, any, any time I get a chance to, like, get on a podcast and talk with some old friends and some new friends, I'm always here for it. 
Yeah. So, Sheila, why don't you tell us, uh, you know, why don't you tell the fans a little bit about yourself and your TV uh, viewing habits and a little bit about your podcast? Thanks so much for asking. I do a lot of podcasting with uh, another friend of ours from high school who has a podcast network with two friends of his. And their network is called Pot Clubhouse. So they formed in about January of 2020. I joined them in about March of 2020 as my pandemic pastime. Uh, something to do to fill the time. And I'm up to like a hundred and something podcasts later. So uh, they keep having me back. I've covered such shows as Yellowstone, The Alienist. What else have I covered? Younger, Girls 5 Eva. That's a great show, by the way. Oh my God. It's so funny. If you have not watched it, it's on Peacock. It's an unabashed plug right now, but it's for people of a certain age who get nostalgic for time uh immemorial with uh with terms of music and uh it's just it's a slice and dice of 90s music so it's very biting it's very funny it's very sarcastic it's definitely completely right up my alley yeah well sheila sheila what do you think this podcast is (laughs) well exactly so this is why this is a really good fit so you know the, the, the more you can take the fun out of something and uh you know point it in a different direction i'm here for it so, so Sheila, what did you think of Married with Children, like the first time? Do you have any like remembrances of the first time you saw it or maybe like some of the talk about it, like from your perspective, especially from the female perspective? We're always interested in hearing about that. <laughs> well, you know, I, I guess as time has gone on, I guess my feelings about certain jokes and things like have changed. But like I, I was watching this episode. I haven't seen Married with Children now in a number of years. And I was like, oh, it's on Hulu. So that's good because I have like all the streaming services. But I remember watching this first run. I was about, what, nine years old old when it came out in 1987 so i i watched it was not like luigi was on like sunday nights or something that's right yeah so i remember it was the famous it was the famous sunday night lineup and you know what yeah even chris chris was a five-year-old watching the show oh my goodness yeah i don't know why i was allowed to watch it at that age but i did i'm I'm gonna really say that a lot of the stuff went over your head oh yeah way over i mean i i it's so funny i i i get you know, at, watching it as an adult, I get all the adult jokes, so it's it's a different type of funny. And as a kid, I, I uh, enjoyed it because it was wild, it was crazy, it was zany. You know, I enjoy it differently now as an adult. <laughs> yeah, like I was watching it now, and I was just like, I don't know how this would go over in a twenty twenty one, you know, audience with its different sensibilities and things like that. But I mean, I was laughing because like I just find it funny. I miss the. <sighs> Like, I miss the the atmosphere that a live studio audience brings to a show. Like, I forgot that it was recorded in front of a live audience. So, like, you know, when Kelly walks in, everyone's screaming for her. And when Peg and Al are talking about, you know, the the, the back and forth jibes between them. And, the, you know, the crowd going, oh, to all, like, the, the disses. I miss that. I miss that that level of interaction, I think, with TV shows. So I, I, I enjoyed that piece of it, too. And just the... The biting humor, the wit, I just really, I really enjoyed coming coming back to this. Yeah, you know, uh, one of the things that they've talked about, you know, Chris and I have discussed this briefly, but this was what you call a traditional three-camera sitcom. And most sitcoms nowadays are no longer made this way. A lot of things are single camera. And again, and, and single camera and also in sets that are, you know, built a certain way. Like you really don't have studio audience the way that this was done. I mean, and, you know, you're talking about shows going back to the Honeymooners and Lila of Lucy that were done that way. And, uh, you know, I'd say that in the last 20 years, that genre has, has disappeared. So it's very nostalgic in terms of like, I think for someone who, who are our ages, 
you know, we grew up watching shows like that, so it's very comfortable to us. And, you know, I'm really curious about someone who is, you know, let's say 20 watching the show and, you know, how they view it. I mean, do they view it as like a very antique way of doing it? <laughs> I mean, just forget about the jokes, but just from like a production standpoint, you know, I'd always be curious to know like what their opinion is versus vis-a-vis what people are doing today. They probably do view it that way, uh, sort of like someone my age, for example, whenever, when I was a kid uh, watching like the Andy Griffith show being in black and white or, you know, one of the one of the real, really older shows that was shot in, in black and white, you know? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what, you know, someone who would roll up to the show first run now would think of it. I, I, I just don't know if they would just like this can't be for real. You know, I think that would be sort of their their feeling about it. Yeah. And we're, we're in season 10 now. So this is the ninth episode of season 10. And this is sort of, you know, we're getting toward the end of the show's run. You know, so to the maniacs, the married, the married maniacs, <laughs> like uh, myself and Chris uh, and our uh, other co-hosts, you know, what we always talk about is, you know, the early seasons, there was a lot more realism in terms of the situations and even the dialogue. Now, you know, this is really, at this point in time in season 10, Married with Children was much more of a pop culture icon. And pretty much everybody and their mother wanted to be on the show. You know, a lot of the dialogue is no longer about the family and the family dynamics. And now it's more about what's going on in the greater world. So uh, some of the comments that we've gotten on Facebook has been that the podcast itself, if you look at our early seasons when uh, our creator Alex was doing this, they were a lot shorter. I mean, have you noticed that, Chris? It's like, you know, an Alex podcast would maybe go an hour to an hour and a half. You know, we are averaging more like two hours. And the only reason is, is because there's a lot more pop culture references that we discuss. Because in the later seasons, beginning in season eight in particular, through the end, there are a lot more pop culture references. Like, And this one has a slew of it. I mean, we have like five pages of notes to discuss today. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've got cracks at Roseanne. We've got the Million Man March. We've got <laughs> a lot of different things that come up here. Yeah. And, you know, we're always glad to have a female perspective. Now, actually, so Sheila, from your perspective, I mean, how would you view the show? I mean, a lot of women, uh, you know, back in the 90s, you know, I said to them, like, I was a fan of Married with Children. They usually were like, oh, God, it's like they would almost classify it as misogynistic. It's not wrong. That's not that's not a wrong sentiment. It it pretty much is. But I mean, it's also it's meant to be like very tongue in cheek funny, but it did reinforce a lot of stereotypes like with Peg, for instance, that she's just she's lazy. She's conniving to always get his money and things like that. It just doesn't portray women. And Kelly's just dumb. Right. So it doesn't it doesn't portray women in a very favorable light. But I mean, are you watching Married to Children for the intellectual capacity or are you watching it for the fun of it? Like you have to be, you, you have to be an intelligent consumer to know what you're, you're consuming. Right. But I also say like, but the flip side is too, I mean, does it really paint, you know, Bud and Alan in a favorable light either? No, it really doesn't. It's so, I mean, it's a double-edged sword, but oftentimes women are the one who get the butt of the jokes in, uh, in the show. But I mean, like the premise of Al, like Al's just the guy who can never win. He can never catch a break. Exactly. A lot of times whenever people say, well, they're like, well, Married with Children is sexist or Married with Children is misogynist or, or, or whatnot. I, I always, my response is usually, well, to a degree, it certainly is. But if you really, truly watch the show over the years, 
the one who gets subjected the most and the one who loses the most is the star of the show himself, Al. You know, I mean, like, we can count on one hand the number of times Al actually wins over the years, <laughs> you know? It's the only time he got the touchdowns in Polk High. That's it, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. The person that subjects it the most on the show is Al himself, if you really think about it. I mean, this episode's a perfect example. I mean, he, and we'll get to that when we get to it, but he has a chance to win, but he, as always, shoots himself in the foot. <laughs> now, actually, you know, Sheila, uh, not to digress, I, I wanted to bring something up to our audience. So uh, if you've listened to our podcast, you know, we have three different teams. So one of our teams is based in Australia, right? And uh, Chris, you know, Sheila, actually, I, I consider her bilingual in uh, American and Australian. <laughs> so do you want to maybe tell us a little bit about uh, Australia, uh, living in Australia as an American and a little bit about your name, Sheila? Oh, God. Yeah. So when I was in college, I had the great idea to go on a student exchange to Australia because um, it was one of the countries that spoke English as, as one of the offerings. And because I knew I'd be going by myself because uh, most of my friends were like in like the pharmacy program or law. So they were like on a track and they couldn't deviate from it. I was a liberal arts major. I had, I had room to wiggle. So I went there for my sophomore year. So halfway through my sophomore year, just because of their school year being different, I went in February and I ended up staying for about two years. Uh, I finished my college degree there. Um, so the funny part about, you know, being in Australia with my name is um, people didn't think that that was actually my name because that's the pronoun the slang that they use for girl. Like, so they would say like, you know, there's a bunch of Sheila's over there. So oftentimes people would be like, Oh, you're the one. Like I was the one named Sheila. Um, or like I'd be talking to a guy in a bar and you know, after a little while, I'd be like, what's your name? I'm like, Sheila. He's like, well, you could have told me to screw off two hours ago. If you didn't want to tell me your name, I'm like, no, no, really. This is what my parents named me. So, um, yeah. So they, they thought it was hilarious that my parents named me Sheila and I went to go live there. What, what part of Australia were you in? I was in uh, a town called Wollongong, which was about an hour south of Sydney. Okay. I was at a university I, there. Um, yeah, I went to, uh, well, I've been to Sydney before. I went there, spent a couple of weeks there back in 2018. And um, oddly enough, just a coincidence, I was a contestant on The Price is Right uh, last year and won a trip to, a vacation to Sydney. Oh my God, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, I, I still haven't gone because the borders have yeah. been closed due to COVID, but I, but I have that vacation waiting on me at some point I'll use. <laughs> so I, I love Australia. <laughs> yeah, me too. I've been to, I've just been like all over, went everywhere that I could go one of the two years that I was there. So beautiful country, lots of friends still there. So it's a, it's a fantastic place to visit. Just don't be named Sheila. <laughs> so, you know, another question I have for you, Sheila, like how did they uh, deal with the Queen's accent? Oh, I used to tell them I speak the Queen's English. They didn't believe me. I was like, no, I speak the 59th Street version of the Queen's English. Um, the, when I was there, it was the late 90s. So there was like the show The Nanny was really popular. So they understood a lot of like the accent. And it was more like I'd be put on display. Like here, say this word, say water, say table, say what else did I have to say? I said Manhattan. There was words I had to say, or oh, coffee, that, you know, they just wanted to hear me say because it's, it's, it's very stark. I, I, yes, I was raised by immigrants, but I have a very strong Queens accent. And, you know, my husband says all the time that I can take the girl out of Queens, but I take, can't take Queens out of the girl because it's there. And it's, 
you can't mistake where I come from when I open my mouth, for sure. But the the nanny was pretty popular back then. So, like, you know, when I said, you know, she comes from Flushing, Queens. Well, I'm from Bayside, the next town over. Like, oh, okay. (laughs) I mean, mean, during that time, I was living in Flushing. So I think people equated living in Flushing to having that nanny accent. But Yeah, they're like, oh, you don't sound like her. I'm like, yeah, I can. Get me angry. No, But, but, you know, the, the reality of it was that, you know, Fran Drescher really grew up in the 50s and 60s when Flushing was heavily Jewish. And people yeah. did speak that way. But, you know, by the time we were kids, you know, the sort of the demographic had changed. I mean, it became very Asian, particularly in the 90s. Uh, yeah. So, you know, you don't hear like that accent wasn't heard on the streets anymore. Like, I feel like that accent moved to Boca Raton, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Parts of Miami Beach and things yeah. like that. Yeah, That's right. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, so that that little segments for our Annabelle, you know, because uh, Annabelle, uh, when she saw that we were having someone named Sheila on, she thought that was pretty funny. So I thought we should, <laughs> I thought we should uh, ha- have a little um, for our American-based fans. It's like, what's so funny about having someone named Sheila on the show, right? <laughs> It'd be like having someone named Girl. Yeah, that's right. You know, it's it's very interesting when you go to the bathroom at a place and you're like, oh, it's my room. Everybody out. My name's on the door. Get out. <laughs> All right, so let's get underway. The title for this episode comes from a film entitled The One That Got Away, a 1957 World War II film starring Hardy Krueger and featuring Michael Goodliff, Jack Glimmon, and Alec McCowan. I'm sorry, Sheila, I think it's a Gaelic name. the, the film was directed by Roy Ward Baker with a screenplay written by Howard Clues based on the 1956 book of the same name by Kendall Burt and James Leeser. The film chronicles the true exploits of Oberlieutenant Franz von Vera, a Luftwaffe pilot shot over Britain in 1940. He initially tried to escape while captive in England, but was later successful during transfer to a Canadian POW camp. And we open the episode with Bud on the telephone. Look, JB, you see, I'm a reasonable man. And see, if you don't give my client this audition, I'm gonna have to have 100 roses delivered to your wife in your girlfriend's name. <laughs> Thanks, babe. See, I, I knew you'd see my way. Hey, what is it? Did you get me an audition? You? <laughs> no, 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 no. I've discovered a major new talent. I'll give you a hint. He just peed on the Darcy's roses. Dad? No. Lucky. Yeah, but isn't it uh, unprofessional for agents to date their clients? <laughs> it's very funny. Million Man March. So what are your thoughts on Bud's trying to extort uh, this guy named JP on the telephone? Well, it's, it's kind of smart, honestly. It sort of um, reminds me of something Jefferson would do. <laughs> Jefferson's the one that's like usually the either extortionist or, you know, the one that's doing some sort of dirty deal or something to make money or whatever. <laughs> But it was brilliant, and Kelly, you know, Kelly thought he got a job for her, but he actually got a job for Lucky. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, it was pretty smart because, you know, how else are you going to make a buck in this world if you're not going to be enterprising? So he just turns out to be a little bit smarter than the other guy he's dealing with. So can't fault him for that. Yeah, I I really love the line. He says, you know, I've discovered a new major talent (laughs) and I'll give you a hint. He just peed in the Darcy's roses. (laughs) And Kelly goes right. Oh, is that bad? (laughs) (laughs) And she really believes it, too. Like she really felt that dad. (laughs) So Kelly makes a a crack to uh, that it's unprofessional for agents to date their clients. So she's insinuating that Bud is dating Lucky. That's why I took that as my quote for the joke in the beginning. (laughs) That uh, this day is our day and we want to let them know that the black contingent of men, women, and children have a significant vote in this country. The Million Man March was a large gathering of African-American men in Washington, D.C. on October 16, 1995. Called by Louis Farrakhan, it was held on and around the National Mall. The National African-American Leadership Summit, a leading group of civil rights activists and the Nation of Islam working with scores of civil rights organizations, including many local chapters of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, but not the National NAACP, formed the Million Man March Organization Committee. The founder of the National African American Leadership Summit, Dr. Benjamin Chavis Jr., served as the national director of the Million Man March. The Million Man March was something that had happened earlier in the year, and I guess really the joke is that they're just saying that Kelly is dating a million men. (laughs) But now, like, so if you said that the Million Man March happened in October of 95, and this aired in November of 95, like, that was a pretty quick turnaround to get the joke in there. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Well, that's one of the things we've talked about. You know, I think that, you know, in season 10, the writers, now, mind you, this is airing in November of, uh, November of 95. So you imagine it was shot about a month before. So, yeah, yeah. and if I remember, the way I remember the Million Man March, there was a big sort of like build up to it. It's not like sort of an event that happened. Like there was press around it in the weeks leading up to it. So... Really, like I said, in season 10, Married with Children is very in tune with pop culture. So, you know, I'm sure that all they're doing is, as things are happening in the world, like they're putting that into the script. And I wouldn't be surprised if maybe some some of these lines were added post-production, or maybe they shot a scene, you know, and it might have been right after the fact. Yeah, you know, we've seen that before. It's a good good call there. We've seen that before. I think it was Alex uh, that pointed that out on the episode where... Someone had asked Bud, like, what's the cologne that you're wearing or whatever? And he, he said it's called the the Buster Douglas special one punch and you're knocked out or something like that. And that was obviously a reference to Buster Douglas upsetting uh, Mike Tyson whenever they fought. But when that episode aired, that fight, uh, that upset had been like less than a month earlier <laughs> whenever he beat Mike. So you would have to figure that would have had to have been added last minute, you know? And that, uh, that upset was still obviously uh, fresh on everyone's mind at the time. Even Lucky has a zinger. It's a dog food commercial. Now all Lucky has to do is learn a few simple tricks and pretend to like the stuff. No problem. I lick your face and pretend to like you. <laughs> <laughs> but now, who? I'm sorry to interrupt, but who was the, the voice of Lucky? So one of the producers by the name of Kim Weisskopf, he was the voice of Lucky. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, originally it was Kevin Coran who was one of the show's writers in the early seasons. And then I believe it was beginning in season eight. 
It was Kim Weisskopf, and he remained the voice of uh, Buck and then of Lucky. And we had, uh, you know, the funeral of Buck the dog at episode three this season. Pour one out for our homie. So now Al and Peg come down the stairs. Gee, Al, I've never heard of a three-day funeral. Perchance you don't remember our honeymoon. (laughs) Yes, something certainly died back then. Unfortunately, it never got buried. I just want you to look me in the face and tell me that you are not going fishing. Peg, I lie about a lot of things. Who I'm married to, who my kids are, what that smell was, but... I would never, ever lie about Aunt Betty's funeral. I thought you said it was Aunt Nell. It's a double funeral, Peg. Which is why it's going to take three days. Well, four if they're biting. I mean, crying. Al and Peg go back and forth because Peg thinks that Al is lying about going to a funeral. And instead, she thinks that he's going on a fishing trip. Peg, I lie about a lot of things. So I'm married to who my kids are, what that smell was. (laughs) But I never lie about Aunt Betty's funeral. (laughs) I thought you said it was Aunt Nell. It's a double funeral, Peg. (laughs) that's why he's got to go for three days well he said he's going to go for three days or four if you're biting and he's crying crying. crying. (laughs) with the faux tear the little crocodile tear Marcy and Jefferson enter okay yeah You ready to go fishing? Uh, What Jefferson means Peg is that the family said in lieu of bringing flowers we should all bring Fish. <laughs> Let's go, Jefferson. No, no, Al. No, my days as a cad and a bounder are over. I feel very strongly that you should never lie to your wife, and for one very good reason. Uh, what was it again, Marcy? A lie may give you temporary pleasure, but honesty will bring you happiness at the end of the day. And I was so happy that Jefferson told me the truth about his trip that I've given him something very special. (laughs) Nobody wants to hear about your filthy chicken love. (laughs) No, Al, Marcy gave me this new telephoto lens for my camera. Look, trust me, Al, I know honesty goes against everything we guys stand for, but women eat it up. All right, I'll give it a shot. Peg, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going fishing this weekend. And every Saturday when I take the garbage out, I throw away one of your shoes. Well, you know, Al, I'm going to be honest with you, too. I knew you were going fishing. And at night, when you're sleeping, I pluck out your hair so you'll bald fast. So Jefferson says that honesty is the best policy. So he says that, you know, you should never lie to your wife for one good reason, you know. And then he says, and he asks Marcy, what was that reason again? <laughs> like, like, I'm going to say it, but I don't believe it. <laughs> so, 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 Sheila, so you're, you're a married woman. So, you know, what's your perspective on this? On what, the guys going away for the weekend? No, like I'd say like a little white lie. Eh, I feel like honesty is always the best policy, but, you know, like, you still got to have your secrets, I guess, every now and again. But if you're going to go away for three days or 
whatever, I think you should be upfront and honest about it. But I'm also the type of person that I'm like, go, go with your friends, go do something. So I'm, I don't know, I guess I'm a little bit different than Peg or even Marcy, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's not, it's not okay to lie to your partner because ultimately something's going to slip and something's going to come out and you're just going to be like, so I feel like the time that's elapsed from the time of the lie to the time that it's found out, like the, the explosion is bigger. So in the moment, it could have been like, yeah, we're just going to go fishing. Whereas if it's you lied about it and three, four, five months, even a year later, it just it blows up to be something bigger. So I think it's just better to be honest. And, and uh, you know, Marcy giving the incentives of a telephoto lens. You know, I guess it's uh, she's trying to win his love and affection and his trust. Uh, what do you think about that, Chris? I mean, uh, you're taking notes. <laughs> yeah, I remember these. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, small lies lead to can lead to bigger lies. You know, I've just seen that in relationships, and then you know, uh, they lead to explosions later on. So, <laughs> uh, I really love Al's line. He says, "Nobody wants to hear about your filthy chicken love." <laughs> <laughs> and like the look of disgust on his face anytime he looks at Marcy is just so priceless. Yeah. And that's like one of the tropes of the show. You know, it's like this, this, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, it's for? like rivalry really for Jefferson's affection, right? It's, it's, she's monopolizing Jefferson and they get along well and it's, uh, it's a give and take. Well, I mean, really, I guess the point of the show is that, uh, you know, Jefferson is a pretty boy who uh, is a gold digger, right? So it's like he's with uh, Marcy because she has money, you know, so he go, he goes along as long as like, he gets something out of it, right? And he likes presents. I think that's sort of like the dynamic of uh, his relationship. But then the relationship with Al is more like, well, he's like sort of the buddy. It's like Al says out loud with most guys are thinking in their heads. <laughs> and uh, Jefferson goes along with it when Marcy's not around. Yeah. That's, a, that's I'd say, what the dynamic is. Yeah, I'll agree is. with that. And Jefferson himself says he knows that honesty goes against everything we guys stand for, but women eat it up. <laughs> I thought it was odd whenever Al said he throws away one of her shoes. I'm like, wouldn't that just make her shop even more? <laughs> That'd just be like feeding the animal, so to speak, if you're throwing away your shoes, you know? <laughs> but her response was gold. Yeah. But she plucks his hairs at the making all <laughs> Like, those are the things about the show that I was just like, yes, that's what I'm here for. Yeah. Well, you know, to a bald guy, I don't like lines like that, right? And, you know, and... <laughs> And uh, smarts right. just a little extra, does it? <laughs> a little bit, <laughs> especially that I was already balding back then when this aired first run. <laughs> I said, well, you know, and again, our, our patron saint of baldness, Dan Chase, should take offense to this. <laughs> so, Sheila, I was one of the former co hosts. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> okay, so now we cut to Al and Jefferson at the lodge. On top of old Smokey, all covered with snow, and every night Oh, God, I love this place, Al. It was a stroke of genius having me cash in Marcy's IRA to pay for this luxury vacation. <laughs> now, when Al and Jefferson enter into the scene, they're singing a song, and the song... <laughs> is On Top of Old Smokey, which is a traditional folk song of the U.S. recorded by the Weavers, and it reached the top of the pop music charts in 1951. 
So I'm going to tell you, as a 17-year-old, this probably flew right over my head. As a, a someone who's aged since then, cashing in an IRA, I'm like, ouch, that hurts. I just had to meet my financial planner last week because now it's time to talk about like where my risk assessment is because of the age that I'm at. I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> so that one hit a little close to home. Well, I'm sitting here thinking, Marcy, you know, she's a, a bank manager. She, she must not pay very close to attention to her accounts because – Jefferson's always cashing out her IRA, taking her credit card and using it. He does all types of things. And like, you know, she usually usually catches him afterwards. But dang, she needs to pay closer attention to her finances. <laughs> you know? And so much for honesty being the best policy as he's cashing out her IRA. <laughs> right, right. He's being honest, but, you know, he's cashing out her IRA behind her back. <laughs> We are now presented with two very beautiful Swedish masseuses, and they are Inga and Helga. Jefferson, would you stop taking pictures so we can enjoy this place? <laughs> Jefferson, would you start taking pictures so we can enjoy this place? Welcome in. They're your Swedish masseuses. I'm Helga. And I'm Inga. And I'm Alga. <laughs> and I'm Gaga. May we carry your bags? <laughs> yes. May we carry yours? Yes, yeah, sure. <laughs> Jefferson, we died and went to the land of milk and honeys. <laughs> Inga is Shea Marks, and she was the Playboy Playmate of the Month in May of 1994. Christy Shea Marks is an American model and actress. And as you said, she was the Playboy Playmate of the Month for May of 1994. Uh, she was discovered by Playboy photographer when she was 20 years old. And she was asked to pose for an advertisement for World Gym in Houston, Texas. I had no idea she was from Houston. That's funny. One month later, in October 1993, she flew to L.A., and she, she met her future husband on the flight and did a test shoot for a centerfold and was accepted for Playmate of the Month for 1994. And from the looks of it, she basically never looked back after there, that. <laughs> she did um, shoots in Hong Kong and Denmark. Uh, she went on to appear in several Playboy special editions, including The Book of Lingerie, Girls of Summer, and Voluptuous Vixens. And she has like 16 acting credits. I was just looking here uh, for wrestling fans out there. She appeared in a uh, wrestling uh, WWF Monday Night Raw back in January of 22nd, 1996 as Triple H's valet during his match against Razor Ramon. You know, it's funny. I probably watched that match <laughs> in all likelihood. <laughs> I probably didn't make the connection that, that you know, that was the girl from the Married with Children episode. But it was Monday night in 1996. Chances are I was watching Monday Night Raw. <laughs> And Donna Derrico, who plays Helga, was the Playboy Playmate of September 1995. So her issue of Playboy had just come out around the time that this episode aired. Donna Jeanette Derrico is an American actress and model. She posed for Playboy as its Playmate of the Month for September 1995 and had a starring role on the television series Baywatch for three years. She is of, of Italian descent and continues to act in films and on television to this day, it says. 
Uh, she married uh, Nikki Six. He's the guitar player from Motley Crue. That's right. Okay, yeah, all right, there you go. Uh, you stole the words right about And she married him, and uh, it looks like she's lived in, uh, she owned a, a day spa in Calabasas, California. And after leaving Baywatch, she appeared in independent films, including The Intervention, Inconceivable, The Making of Plus One, which was alongside Andy McDowell, Jennifer Tilly, Colm Fiore, and Elizabeth McGovern. So this was perfect for both of them. I mean, it's great. It, it's great, you know, additional exposure for them. <laughs> <laughs> no pun, no pun intended. But I'm both. Yeah, that's my favorite line in the entire episode, man. When Al goes, and I'm Alga. <laughs> Just that look, that look on his face when he says that. Ed O'Neill delivers that perfectly. And I'm Alga. <laughs> and they really play it up. In last week's episode, we had three women who would pose nude. So in this week's episode, we also have three women who pose nude. <laughs> uh, uh, so I, this seems to be like a running theme in season 10. A lot of people sort of associate Married with Children with this type of, uh, <laughs> this kind of display. This but, genre of publication, sure. That's right. But the reality is, is that it wasn't as pronounced in the early seasons. Like we had, for example... Brandy Brandt, who appeared in, I guess it was season three. Yeah, that sounds right. And then we had uh, Pamela Anderson, I think, uh, first appeared in season five, if I remember right, in the Al's Dream there. Right. But like I said, this is like back to back to back to back. I mean, this is sort of, you know, one of the things about season 10, which is very different than the early seasons. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, you know, they sort of ham it up, I would say. You know, with these with these fake Swedish massages. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, they lean deep into the uh, the stereotype there. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd be all for it with them as my masseuses. I'm just saying, I wouldn't be complaining. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but would you be Alga or would you be Gaga? <laughs> I mean, she can call me whatever she wants. She can call me Alga. She can call me Gaga. She can call me Kaka. If she wants. I don't care. <laughs> She's my masseuse. She can call me whatever she wants. Yeah, definitely the land of milk and honey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so Sheila, what, what's your so what's your opinion of this? It's like like what what is, how do you view this as a woman? Uh, a scene like this. Well, I mean, like I, I said it before, like it was like yeah, they're really leaning deep into the stereotypes. Like they're not trying to. We know that they're not trying to further a narrative in any different direction other than to be like tongue in cheek funny. And just to deliver, you know, some good comedy. So, you know, I take it on its face. Like, you know, yeah, they're going to lean into the, the the stereotypes. They're Swedish. They're masseuses. They're named Helga and Inga. Like, I could have even predicted, like, once I'm Helga, I was gonna, that's going to be Inga. You know, because there's really no other, you know, name for, like, a stereotypical, you know, Swedish masseuse. But, yeah, it's just, you're, like I said before, like, you're going to watch this and you're going to, you know, ha- take a certain tone with it and you know for people who are going to get uptight about the stereotypes and things like that it may not be a show for them but like chris like you said earlier like the men really take a beating in this show as well like al never gets the chance to win and and jefferson's always being put down by marcy so there's always this this give and take back and forth so like if you're going to look at it on its face then it's is it a little condescending sure but i mean you're not coming into this like i said for the 
the highbrow intellectual culture. You're coming into this. You want to be entertained. You want to laugh. I forgot how many like joke a minute moments you get in this show. Like that's what I come back to Married with Children for. Like I come back for the the zingers between Al and Peg and, and Bud and Kelly. Like those dynamics. That's what I come back to it for. So it's it's not. You know, like, I mean, I could I could get very, like, hoity-toity and very feminist, but, like, that's not what I'm here for when I watch this show. Like, if I if I came across it and I didn't know anything about it, sure, I'd be pretty... I'd be pretty offended, but you also have to kind of take it in the pop culture context of, of the, the audience that it's playing to, the time frame that it was in as well. Like, you even said here, like, how much the show evolved in the what like eight seasons or nine seasons that we're in now to this point that the show did its evolution so it's keeping up with the times as the times are changing so you do have to give the show credit for that too yeah you know another thing as as i always say each character on the show is uh you know like a gross exaggeration of of the character how it is in real life i mean you know you know like bud for example is a gross exaggeration of a you know a perverted uh high school slash college kid that can't get laid and Kelly is a gross exaggeration of like a blonde bimbo basically. Well, this is a gross exaggeration of how two men would act if two playboy playmates walked up to them and said that they were their masseuses, you know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's all I take from this scene. I <laughs> also want to point out that Al is wearing a sweater that he wore in season seven, episode 14. It doesn't get any better than this. It says, I fish, therefore I am. And this is a spoof on Rene Descartes' famous declaration of, I think, therefore I am. And I was on that podcast episode with Alex and Dan Chase back in season seven. So now we're introduced to the character of Randolph. Uh, um, Mr. Bundy and Mr. Darcy. I'm Randolph the innkeeper and I've been trying to get a hold of you. There's been a slight change in your cabin assignment. Uh, what's the change? You don't have one. Well, that's okay. We'll bunk in with Helga and Inga. Yes, sir. Helga, Inga, you're late for topless happy hour. Yes, sir. Hey, look, you, you can't bump us. See, we made our reservation over a year ago. Oh, oh uh, so you did. Let me explain something. You're nobodies, and you had a reservation. Shannon Tweed is a famous actress. She didn't have a reservation. Explanation over. <laughs> Shannon Tweed, star of Night Eyes 2, Night Eyes 3, and every fantasy I've ever had since I got cable. <laughs> you know, Shannon Tweed got me through many a long, lonely night of sex with Marcy. And Randolph is played by Joey Segal, who is Katie Segal's brother. I was wondering that when you said that in the beginning that who like the guest stars were. I was like, oh, this, it has to be some relation, but it wasn't apparent in the show. So now we've seen, so I had it in my notes here. So now we've seen Katie Segal's brother. We've seen David Faustino's brother twice. And we've seen Ed O'Neill's wife twice. Christina uh, Applegate's mother. Oh, was Christina Applegate's mother in this too? What, what yes. What was that? Uh, she was in the episode when um, Al wanted to get the the car. Remember, like, he's pleading with the guy. He's like, please. It's like, I'll be your son. Oh, yeah. Okay. I, I'm okay. trying to remember. I'm, I'm thinking it's probably around season five. 
Okay, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I know I know the episode you're talking about. Yeah. So I was that's what I put in my notes. I was like, have we seen any, any of Christina Applegate's family? And I'm trying to figure out if we've seen any, you know, of Amanda Burse or Ted McGinley, David Garrison. Oh, no, we we did we did we did actually see Ted McGinley's wife. She was in a bank. She was in the bank. There was an episode when Jefferson is like pinching the butt of a girl who's who's filling okay. out a deposit slip at the bank. And okay, uh, okay. when we when I looked at it, I figured out that it was like Alex said, like, look at this, like, you know, it was like pinching the butt. And then I, I recognize it. And his wife is, I believe her name is Gigi Rice. Right. OK. Awesome. It's cool how much they keep it in the family, so to speak. Yeah, definitely. Randolph tells Alan Jefferson that they no longer have a reservation because Shannon Tweed has taken it. So <laughs> Al gets very excited. She's a star of Night Eyes 2, Night Eyes 3, and every fantasies he's ever had since he got cable. <laughs> and we know that that hasn't been for a long time because Al generally doesn't pay for anything or he steals cable from someone, right? <laughs> but he knows what he likes. Uh, so there's this line that Randolph says about how he's trying to get a hold of Alan Jefferson. So think about it. 1995, you know, what percentage of the population had cell phones? I mean, Chris, you and I have spoken about that. In 1995, I mean, I would say probably 10, 15% tops. That's probably being generous. <laughs> I, I had a cell phone in 1995. <laughs> I had uh, like this big Motorola brick thing with a flip out, a flip top that went over the, the keypad. My mom made like made a deal. She was like, listen, if you're going to drive around, you need to have a cell phone. I was like, okay. But I was only allowed to use it in dire emergencies because it was like $12,000 a nanosecond. <laughs> uh, and those films that they uh, mentioned, Night Ice 2s and Night Ice 3s, are real films of Shannon. There's a, there's a film that she does, that, a fake film that she mentions later, but we'll talk about it when we get there. Yeah. <laughs> in comes Shannon Tweed. <laughs> Yes, Miss Tweed. Are those the two gentlemen that had reservations for my cabin? Yes, Miss Tweed. Oh, good. I did so want to meet them. <laughs> I told you she'd straighten this thing out, just like she straightened out Andrew Stevens in Night Eyes 3. <laughs> yes. Well, just as I thought. A mangy shoe salesman and a chronically unemployed aging pretty boy. Have them thrown off the property immediately. Jeez, I can't believe she said that. <laughs> Me either. Aging? <laughs> now, Redford, that's aging. Huh? Uh, and Shannon Tweed was born March 10th, 1957. She's a Canadian actress and model. One of the most successful actresses of mainstream erotica. She's identified with the genre of the erotic thriller. Tweed lives with her husband, Gene Simmons, bassist and co-lead singer of the band Kiss. And their two children, Nicholas and Sophie. Shannon Tweed is also known for the Gene Simmons Family Jewels, a television reality show that portrayed the life of her family from 2006 to 2012. And here's another little tidbit. Gene Simmons and Katie Segal once stated. Interesting. <laughs> it's also interesting that, Jan that Shannon and Katie Segal don't share a scene. <laughs> Talk about keeping it in the family. <laughs> That's pretty funny. So what did you think of her performance on that opening scene? 
I, I, I thought it was pretty good. I mean, I, she's obviously playing the part of a, a rich celebrity who is happy that she ha- she holds the power to be able to kick two regular guys out. Basically, she took her spot, and she's she's kind of reveling in it in a way. She's like, hey, just as I suspected, a shoe salesman and an aging you know an aging pretty boy have them escorted off the property immediately. You know. Yeah, it's really reinforcing that stereotype yeah. about celebrities just being crass when they can and, and getting away with it, like. Yeah, yeah, she she played it really well, I think, you know. I like that she calls him a mangy shoe salesman. I thought that was funny. And then um, when she calls Jefferson an aging playboy, he's like, no, Redmond. <laughs> a Redford, Redford. Yeah. Well, I liked it. I, I thought it was funny how she could tell he was a shoe salesman just by looking at him. <laughs> <laughs> like, no one even told her. She's like, ah, just as I suspected, a mangy yeah. shoe salesman. <laughs> she, could, she could tell that within five seconds of seeing him. <laughs> yeah. And Jefferson takes uh, offense about being a chronically unemployed aging pretty boy. Yeah. <laughs> He's really just upset about the aging part. Right. Yeah. And again, playing to the stereotype, right? Right. So, Sheila, what, what's your opinion on that? I mean, Robert Redford was considered one of you know, the hunks of Hollywood. So, I don't know. Yeah. W- would you consider him maybe your style? Um, I can appreciate him, but I don't know if he's necessarily, I never found him as devastatingly handsome as other people did. I'm trying to think of like, what's a contemporary movie to this time? Would it maybe like Indecent Proposal or something like that? Yeah, he's a handsome dude, but I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't necessarily equate him with like the, the playboy that Jefferson equates himself to. Okay. I would have probably picked somebody a little more, like Paul Newman. Like if you said Paul Newman, I'd be like, yes, that is like an aging fox. Okay. <laughs> All right. No, but, but. it's personal preference, though. They make a mentions to Andrew Stevens, who was who was a co-star on Night Eyes Three, which was uh, correct. I've never seen the film, but according to Wikipedia, Andrew Stevens is a, an American executive film producer, director, and actor, born nineteen fifty-five. Now, Shannon Tweed and this scene is thirty-eight years old. I mean, I have to admit, she's she looks phenomenal in terms oh, yeah. of her stats. She's five foot ten now. Ed O'Neill is about 6'1". So you can sort of see like later on, especially like when they're like at the same level, but she's probably wearing heels, but she's a very tall girl. Yeah, definitely. Now, gentlemen, um, just to show you I'm not entirely without feeling, here's your deposit back. Oh, 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 and um, here are your complimentary mints. I I suggest Mr. Bundy have them both. And you have exactly two minutes to get off the premises. Good day. Now, I think to me, like, one of the funniest lines of this whole episode is when Randolph kicks Alan Jefferson out. And he says, you know, just to show that I'm entirely without feeling, here's your deposit back. And here are your complimentary mints. And I suggest Mr. Bundy have both of them. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Al. (laughs) And like the look on his face, he's just stung. (laughs) It's almost like a look of confusion, but I thought it was like hysterical. Like he took more, he took more offense to the breath mints than he did to being called a mangy shoe salesman. (laughs) Right. Oh, God. Well, who the hell does he think he is? <laughs> he can't throw us out of here. Well, I'm afraid he, I'm afraid he can, Al. Private property. 
I'll show him some private property. <laughs> decides to pee and uh, Jefferson starts snapping some pictures and we have to set this up for the next scene where we see them together. Oh, I was just going to say, it's, it's so funny how when Jefferson tar- starts taking those pictures, it it looks like he's taking photos of Al taking a piss. It really <laughs> does. <laughs> it really does. I'm, like, I'm like, Jefferson, I was a little confused for the time. <laughs> I'm like, what are you I doing? He had like man? a big grin on his face too while he was doing it. Yeah, he was all too. happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's time for no man to take a little break in the Jiggly Room. I'm the DJ, and I'm gonna play a little bit of music that was on this week's episode of Marry With Children. On top of a smoking, a covered with snow, I lost my true love. So slow. Our carding's a pleasure. Our carding's a pleasure. So now we cut back to the Bundy living room with Bud and Lucky. Lucky, if you're gonna be in this commercial, you're gonna have to learn to sit. Now sit! Ah, uh, I'll never teach this dog how to sit. <laughs> what am I gonna have to do, beg? I cannot get this dog to do what I want him to. Well, maybe you need a rubber dog. <laughs> Here, let me try. I'll show him by example. All right, Lucky, sit. Oh, uh, Kelly, please, that's never gonna work. I've already tried doing all that. <laughs> Come on, Lucky, let's go outside and I'll teach you some more tricks. Give me a bone with some meat on it. I'll jump over the house. <laughs> Nobody really notices that Lucky knows how to do you know, follow commands. It's like, you know, sit, beg, etc. Yeah, that was funny. <laughs> so then Kelly walks in and says that, well, maybe, bud, you need a rubber dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If it was rubber, but bud can make him do whatever he wanted yeah. to do, huh? <laughs> yeah. Moving right along. Alan Jefferson come in, and they discover that uh, there's some pictures in their collection that they didn't see before. Uh, So, getting bumped from the fishing cabin wasn't all that bad, was it, Al? Well, nothing drowns your sorrows better than a three-day binge at the nudie bar. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, wow, look at this picture I took of the lake. Uh, Here's the lodge. Here's a nudie bar. Wait a second, Jefferson. We didn't take any pictures at the nudie bar. Yeah, you're right. And the nudie bar isn't in the woods. And it doesn't have Shannon Tweed and Randolph in the hot tub. Holy Moses, Jefferson, do you know what this means? Yeah, Cosby's right. Kodak paper does make a difference. Now Al talks about having a three-day binge at the nudie bar. (laughs) As you do. So, I mean, I guess they decided it'd be better to spend their money at the nudie bar than come home. So what did you think about that, Chris? 
Oh, that was funny. I'm like, they <laughs> they just had an extended stay at the nudie bar. I mean, that's better than going home to their wives, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, they already got the free pass for the weekend. They're not going to go home. I agree. That's true. I mean, why would you, you know? You know, Al's already been caught in his lie and uh, been outed by Jefferson. So might as well make the best of it. Right. Definitely. Can I interrupt for one second? So this is something that I was laughing at when I was watching it. So something that came out in 1995, we're watching it now in 2021. Things that people either have forgotten were a thing or will never know. Waiting to develop your pictures. Yeah, yeah. I had that in my notes too. Yep. So, you know, the photo mats and, you know, what they're making reference to, the line specifically is, you know, Cosby's right. Kodak does make a difference. There were a series of commercials in the 80s and 90s starring Bill Cosby. Where, Are we allowed to talk about Bill Cosby? Yeah, well, I mean, we can. <laughs> no, I, I think, you know, we, we just talk about it as part of that was just the culture of the time. I mean, obviously. He was normal back then. We promise. Yeah. Well, I mean. Uh, or at least, at least, at least we, we thought, thought we thought yeah, he was exactly. we thought he was uh, normal. But yeah, I mean, during this time period, you know, uh, Bill Cosby hawked everything from Jello to Kodak. Uh, he used to pudding pops. Yeah, yeah. he had uh, back in the eighties. He he did commercials for E. F. Hutton. Um, so you know, he was a very popular spokesperson during this time period. Do you ever look at the other side of your pictures? You have any idea what's back here? No. Here's what should be back here. It should say Kodak on the back because Kodak paper means Kodak quality. And the best way to get Kodak quality here is to look for the Kodak color watch seal where you get your film developed. Now, you got no Kodak paper back here. No color watch seal here. No seal? Who knows? Make sure you check the back. I asked for jumbo prints, but this is ridiculous. I really liked that show he did, um... Kids say the darndest things. Did you yeah, ever watch absolutely. that? Yeah, absolutely. That was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I remember watching the Cosby Show when it first came out, first run. I mean, I was that was 1982. I was four years old, and I remember uh, watching the pilot episode with my sister. I have a sister who's four years older than me. You know, so I mean, again, you know, uh, we. I remember like Fat Albert. You know, watching like that in cartoons, yeah. you know, back yeah. at that time. So, I mean, Cosby has been part of our of our lives, you know, for yeah, our pop culture you know, lives for for a long time, our entire life. I mean, yeah. it's it's unfortunate uh, what's happened recently. You know, what's come out recently. Yeah, I mean, like the night before the night before I went in to have my son, I, I was uh, I was I knew I was going to be induced on a Friday, and so the night before we watched um, Bill Cosby himself. I mean, this is 2013 before things came out about him, but it was just such a funny comedic performance about, you know, being a parent and, and sort of the, the way in which they change your life. Like, like that, we, we quoted that for years until, you know, it came being a thing that you don't, you don't talk about anymore. But yeah, like he's, he's an important part of like where we grew up and a lot of our references come from. So discover that Shannon Tweed is having a tryst with Randolph. It's payback time. Nobody bumps us, baby. <laughs> Shannon Tweed is about to get bumped herself right onto the front page of the National Enquirer. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> the National Enquirer is an American tabloid newspaper published by American Media. 
Founded in 1926, the newspaper has un undergone a number of changes over the years. The National Enquirer openly acknowledges that it will pay sources for tips, a, a practice which is generally disapproved by the mainstream press. It has also been embroiled in several controversies re related to its catch-and-kill practices and allegations of blackmail. So uh, Sheila's going to laugh when I say this. Uh, so one of my cousins worked for American Media. <laughs> uh, and Sheila knows I have lots of relatives, so this is another one of them. Uh, but yeah, you know, from what I, I remember, like I got tipped off that a JLo was having twins <laughs> back in the day. I mean, I'm sure Alex would have wanted to have known that info uh, <laughs> if I had known him at that point in time. But yeah, you know, they are headquartered in New York City. And say it's a staple in the supermarket aisles here in the U.S. Oh, absolutely! I when I'm whenever I'm going through <laughs> when I'm going through the line at Walmart or H-E-B or Target, I always look just to see what it is, see what the you know National Enquirer says. I mean, a lot of times it's nonsense, but <laughs> sometimes it turns out to be true. <laughs> Boy, look at this picture of Shannon Tweed Jefferson. Isn't she a babe? <laughs> Ah, oh, come on, Al. I'll bet our wives, in this beautiful mountain setting with the steam rising up off the hot tub, would look just as good. <laughs> no way! Jefferson, <laughs> how much do you think this picture of Shannon Tweed is worth to the tabloids? Well, let's see. Your typical celebrity nude photo brings in, oh, say, upwards of $1,000. But see, in this case, in this case, it's a celebrity doing the Humpty Dance with the help. <laughs> <laughs> That's got to fetch at least $10,000. <laughs> yeah, you see, but Jefferson, even though we did get bumped from our cabin, I mean, this is a little heartless and cold, huh? even for us. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, you're right, Al. You know, the honest thing to do would be just throw this away and pretend like it never happened, huh? You got it. All right, just, mm -hmm. hey. Well, you uh, feel better about yourself now? Much. Yeah. I'll see you later, buddy. You know, I think uh, since Peg's not home, it's, <laughs> Peg's not home, it's probably safe to go up there and take a little nap. <sighs> yeah. Marcy is home, so I think I'll go back to the nudie bar. <laughs> Later, buddy. Back at you, Paolo mine. <laughs> you the man. Oh, no. No, no. You the man. <laughs> now, here's the funny thing. There's this phrase that they do. This is when uh, they go to throw out the picture in the negative. So Alan Jefferson say it's like... Back at you, pal of mine. I mean, that sounds like a, that's like an Ed Norton line from the Honeymooners. That's one. And then you, the man. It's like, oh, no, you, the man. Now, as I recall, that was the catchphrase of around that period of time, correct? Yeah. I don't remember exactly where it comes from at this point, but I do remember that that was one of those catchphrases around 1995. Yeah, I, I remember saying that. I mean, you know. And something still people still say to this day. They're like, you demand. No, you demand. <laughs> All right. I mean, so for any of our listeners, if you remember where that comes from, why don't you comment on that in our posts? 
Okay, so now we cut to the set of a dog food commercial. Next. How dare you reject my dog? He, he's Eddie on Frasier, you know. Ma'am, Eddie is a Jack Russell Terrier. Your mutt is a near-blind bulldog. Well, he looks different in person. You're in the business. You know the camera adds 15 pounds. Yeah, and so are those donuts you stuffed in your purse during the audition. Now get out. Let's go, Eddie. We have a woman whose name is, I believe this is... Uh, Mary Harper Jones, who plays the stage mom, with her near-blind bulldog. Yeah, she calls him Eddie. <laughs> right. So he's Eddie on Frasier. Now, the director is one of our favorite directors, and he's played by Leland Orser. He was on a previous episode that Chris and I reviewed, The Naked, The Dead, and the, but mostly The Naked in season eight. <laughs> and he will also appear on Kiss of the Coffee Woman later on in the series. Yeah, he, he's really good at playing that role. Just the, like, really sarcastic director that hates his job, so to speak, or, like, sort of dreads his job and just kind of snaps at people, you know. <laughs> he's really good at that. Moose was a Jack Russell Terrier who portrayed Eddie Crane on the American sitcom Frasier. Uh, it says Moose's son es Enzo took over as Eddie from about season eight onwards. Yeah, so, and Frasier is famous NBC show which continued the story of Dr. Frazier Crane, which originated in Cheers. And that dog, Moose, by the way, was almost 16 years old when it, when it passed away. Had a long life. Because that, that's what they say, right? I mean, the smaller the dog, I guess the longer the life. Like a bigger dog has a shorter life. Yeah. Yeah, generally, yeah, they say the smaller dogs will outlive the, the, the bigger ones. Now, you know, even the uh, director has these uh, biting lines, you know. <laughs> I mean, the woman says he looks different in person. <laughs> it says, you know, the camera adds 15 pounds. And he says, and so do the donuts you stuffed in your purse during the audition. Jeez, <laughs> 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 you think there'd be one half-starved mongrel in this town that can make it through this obstacle course? Uh... Lucky can do it. Oh, yeah? And I suppose he plays Murray on Mad About You? Oh, no, he, he hates Paul Reiser. In that case, I'll give him a shot. So when uh, Bud, Kelly, and Lucky come in, he says, you know, who's this guy supposed to be? I suppose he plays Murray on Mad About You. <laughs> I thought this was a really great line for Kelly to come in and be like, oh, no, he hates Paul Reiser. She was really quick on the uptake there. So that was, uh, that was a good use of her, uh, her intelligence there. Yeah, very quick-witted. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the Buckman's dog, Murray, was actually Maui, a collie mix. He was originally found in a Castaic, California animal shelter by a Hollywood, Hollywood animal trainer. Maui got his start in TV commercials and as the understudy for titular circus dog and bingo back in 1991. Mad About You is an American sitcom television series starring Paul Reiser and Helen Hunt as a married couple in New York City. The series focuses mainly on newlyweds Paul Buckman and documentary filmmaker and Jamie Stemple Buckman, a public relations specialist, as they deal with everything from humorous daily minute to major struggles. Near the end of the show's run, they have a baby daughter whom they name Mabel. Yeah, so you guys remember that show? I do. I didn't really care for it, but... Yeah, same. 
Okay. I don't know. It was just on at a time where I don't think that the humor really pertained to me. It was, yeah, I think the, the humor was a little more adult for the for what I was consuming, I think, at the time. What year did it come out, Luigi? Uh, let's see. It was in the 90s, for oh, sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's get the, uh, came out in 92 through 99. Yeah, so like, I mean, we were 92. We were, what, 14 years old? Yeah, freshman in high school. Yeah. Almost so through they, the end of our junior year of college. Yeah. So, but I, but by the time that it, it ended, I definitely wasn't paying any attention to it. But when it first came out, it just wasn't something for me. But whereas Married with Children had, you know, obviously adult themes and, and whatnot, but it was still like a, a different level of humor, which attracted, you know, people of our age group, I think at that time. Yeah. You know, Married with Children, I'd say, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, has two, two layers of comedy. There's a slapstick layer that is very visual, you know, and it's almost like that setup joke, setup joke, and it's very silly. And then there's a very sophisticated humor layer that sits above it that, you know, occasionally comes out. You know, it's like there are times where they're quoting like Shakespeare, you know, or they're, or they're quoting like high culture, you know, to make a, a low culture joke, right? And well, uh, like the, uh, sorry to interject, but like the Rene Descartes, I think, therefore I am. I, there, I fish, therefore I am. You know, you have to be, you know, sort of savvy to make that connection, to make that funny. That's right. I mean, like this whole interchange with, you know, uh, Bud Kelly and the director. Uh, I mean, like I, that's like a high culture. Like, because think about it. It's like um, you have to be watching television. And it's like, I, well, he says he hates Paul Reiser, you know, making this connection to Mad About You. I mean, I think that's funny because it's instead of saying it's like, oh, you know, you're you know, Peg, your, your mother is enormous, right? And making a joke like that way. Like here it is. It's like he's making a joke about a specific, like some other TV show. And usually they took jabs at other popular TV shows that followed the classic format. Of, and what we call it, Sheila, is, you know, a lot of TV shows of the 70s and 80s and early 90s were morality plays where they're trying to teach the audience a lesson. Right. So going back to, let's say, All in the Family or the Jeffersons, it's like, well, you know, we want to talk about racism, sexism and all that and do it in a funny way. But we want to teach you a lesson. And, you know, that continued into the 80s with all of these uh, family sitcoms where it's like, like growing pains right. and family ties. That's right. right. Father knows best and mother knows best. And the children have some bad friends and occasionally they try to hold them astray. And Married with Children instead was the show about the bad friends. <laughs> you know. yep. how the other half lives correct you know where father doesn't know best and mother doesn't know best and the children are those bad kids that you don't want your kids hanging out with right they're left to fend for themselves right, really right hungry puppy dog food audition number 2073 take one run the course oh, come on lucky just get into character. Be a hungry puppy. Oh, there's a stretch. <laughs> Come on, Lucky. Now you want to be in the commercial and make lots of money? Well, I know how this works. I get in the commercial, you get the money, I end up sharing a jail cell with a cast of different strokes. <laughs> Next. The, the director is uh, very sarcastic. He says, Hungry Puppy Dog Food Audition number 2073. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he's he's a, a little sick of uh, doing auditions, right? Yep. 
you know, and Lucky gets another zinger in there, right? And he talks about uh, he's going to end up sharing a jail cell with the cast of different strokes. <laughs> <laughs> so do you remember, um, do you remember that, Sheila, like what they're talking about there? I do. So the stars of the show were routinely getting themselves into a whole heap of legal trouble, usually with drugs. Am I correct? Yeah, that's right. So Todd Bridges and Dana Todd Bridges, Dana Plato. Dana Plato. That's right. Yeah, and didn't both of them die? Uh, Dana Plato died. Uh, Todd Bridges is still alive. Oh, okay. But I knew that they they themselves had multiple run-ins with the police and drug overdoses and and things like yeah, that. Yeah, it was Gary so. Coleman who passed away. That's right. Yeah. So it was Dana Plato and Gary Coleman who passed away. But but Todd Bridges and Dana Plato were always in trouble. It was they were on the cover of the National Enquirer an awful lot. It was very tragic, you know, for Dana Plato. You know, she yeah. she she yeah. really like took it hard. I mean, I'm very glad that Todd Bridges was able to clean himself up. Yeah, but it's also like really hard, I think, for child actors to kind of navigate in this very adult world where things are being thrown at them, and if they don't have good role models and supports around them, that's that's the road that's tragically so many of them go down. Say, so, hey, we actually get to see Gary Coleman here in the series. I I think twice, right? Yeah, we once. see him in the season finale this season. Yeah, it's kind of cool. So Lucky wants some motivation and doesn't want to run the obstacle course. No, wait, wait, he can do it, I promise. He just, he just needs a little motivation. <laughs> just watch and follow me. What? It's good. I... Well, that was great. The auditions are over. We have our hungry puppy. <laughs> Kelly shows him what to do, and it appears that Lucky has the commercial. Now we cut to the Bundy living room, and an auction is underway. Thank you. There you go. Have a seat. Thanks very much. Attention, media whores. Uh, <laughs> I mean, esteemed members of the press. The auction for the Shannon Tweed hot tub photo is about to begin. All right, we'll show, time. Us show us the good time. Show us the good time. All right, all, all in good time. <laughs> <laughs> now, I like how they say, you know, attention media whores. I mean, esteemed <laughs> members of the press. <laughs> Get that little dig in there. <laughs> they really are. I mean, how many times have we seen the press in the Bundy household? I mean, just over the years, <laughs> that'd be something funny to count. How, how many times, you know, Luigi, like when you, if you were to start all the way with season one and come to the present. <laughs> well, I think in this one in particular, back in season nine, we had the episode Ship Happens. So we saw all yep. of them in there. Now, the person missing in this uh, scene is Teresa Parente as Miranda Veracruz de la Hoya Cardinal. She, she <laughs> should have been in that. Uh, she should have been in that room. Yeah, I wonder why she's not there. <laughs> yeah, and we would love to have her on our podcast. We could, that would be a question we would ask her. It's like, why weren't you there? Like, you know, you would have added a lot of yeah. comedic value to that scene. Yep. Yeah, you, yeah. so what, Sheila, you laughed that I, I could say it without uh, stuttering? No, the, just the, the lyrical way that it just rolled off your tongue, like you've practiced it a hundred times. Well, it's my musical training, right? <laughs> <laughs> Before I get to the main event, however... I would like to start 
with a genuine picture of the Loch Ness Monster. Lucia, come on, show us in here. God, Al, that's horrific. What the hell is it? It's a picture of Peg's mom in the bathtub. <laughs> I don't see a bathtub in there. Oh, trust me, Jefferson, it's under there somewhere. That's not the Loch Ness Monster. He's not that big. So what? We slap uh, Roseanne's head on it and say she lost weight. I'll give you 50 bucks. <laughs> so Al wants to auction off a picture of Peg's mom. <laughs> well, he's going to do a test balloon, right? He wants to see what, you know, the how the fish are biting, so to speak. You know, bring, to take that metaphor a little deeper there. <laughs> but that's not the Loch Ness Monster, man. He's not that big. <laughs> So I sold it for 50 bucks and we'll slap uh, Roseanne's head on it and say she lost weight. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, they love taking digs at Roseanne, uh, by the way. Yeah. Now, ladies and gentlemen, for the main event, Shannon Tweed, as you've never seen her before. Now, we will start the bidding at... $1,000. I get $1,000 here. Do I hear more? 3000 Oh, come on. You pay twice that much for Brett Butler pulling out our wedgie. Come on. I'll give you 5000 Make it ten. Ten thousand dollars here. We have ten thousand dollars going once, ten thousand going twice. So close to a sale. Make it twelve five. Jefferson, keep the fleecing going. If I'm not back, you send my mail to King Al, Hammock One, Isle of Yap. <laughs> okay, twelve five. So now we start with the auction of the Shannon Tweed photo. And we get it gets up to about $10,000, and then it becomes twelve five, and the doorbell rings. So close to being sold. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So there's a, a great line here, right? You could send them my mail to King Al, Hammock One, Isle of Yap. So, Yap traditionally refers to an island group located in the Caroline Islands of the Western Pacific Ocean, a part of Yap State. The name Yap in recent years has also come to refer to the state within the Federated States of Micronesia, inclusive of the Yap main islands and its various outer islands. There's also a reference to Brett Butler who's an American actress, writer, and stand-up comedian, and she's known for playing the title role of the ABC comedy series Grace Under Fire. <laughs> well, because you pay twice that much for Brett Butler pulling out a wedgie. So I, I don't know. Do you guys remember that? <laughs> I remember that show, but, I mean, it was like, you know, her 15 minutes of fame kind of thing. I don't remember it being very long-lived. I mean, I, I think I yeah, watched same. a few episodes, but it wasn't, like, something I ran for. Same. I don't remember a scandal of her pulling a wedgie out of her butt either. Yeah, no scandals. <laughs> was that something maybe she did on the show? I don't know. No, that was probably her, you know, going into Seven Eleven or something like that and picking out her wedgie. Yeah, I mean, that for them to put that in there, that probably actually happened. Some dummy, some loser probably took a picture of her pulling a wedgie and someone bought it for a thousand bucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so she has... Um, I mean, her show Grace Under Fire was contemporaneous with Married with Children. It ran from 1993 to 1998. It was on for that long? Wow. So now we get this totally improbable scene where Shannon Tweed is at Al Bundy's front door. Yeah! <laughs> Shannon Tweed here in my, my house? Mr. Bundy, I know you're going to find this hard to believe, but... 
I came by to apologize for the way I treated you at the lodge. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, I can, I can believe Brandy Brandt showing up in the shoe store, right? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, how is it that uh, Shannon Tweed ends up in Al's front door? Yeah, I mean, how the hell would she even know where he lived? I mean, this was not this was before the days. That, nowadays, you know, you can look up anyone, just look up the tax records, but there was no internet back then. Or I, I, I guess there was, but not the internet that we have now. No, it was AOL <laughs> yeah. online, friend. It was chat right. rooms. <laughs> yeah, like, how the hell would she know where to go? Netscape Navigator, you know. <laughs> I guess we could say, well, Randolph knows their their address since they booked the cabin through them. Yeah, but well, initially I was like, when, when Luigi first mentioned it about, you know, how would they get the, the address, I was like, maybe from the photos that Jefferson had to develop? Yeah. Because you usually had to give, well, like, a, an address and a phone number. No, right? I, I, I think probably word got out that there was a, that an auction was going on. So she probably got tipped off. That's how, like, I mean, if you have to lo- make logical sense out of it, that seems to be the only way that, that it would yeah. be possible. Right. The other question I had uh, in my notes is, why would she really care? If she's a pornographic actress, why would she care about a, a nude photo? I mean, I guess if she's making out with someone that she doesn't want anybody to know about, I suppose. But <laughs> Yeah, well, no, she's not, a, she's not yeah. a pornographic actress. Like, you know, effectively what she does is she, uh, you would almost call it, I guess, softcore in the sense that, you know, she's nude, but it's not, ex- it's oh, okay. not explicit. Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought she was actually like a full-blown... <laughs> Yeah, and I think I think it really has to do with the fact that you know she's having an affair. Now, mind you, you know, based on her biography, she only got married to Gene Simmons uh, in 2011, but she'd been together with him since 1983. So maybe it's like again, again, to try to put some sense into this world (laughs) that we've created. It's like it would be scandalous for her to be seen with someone else. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I got you. Okay. Makes sense. Here is Shannon Tweed in front of Al Bundy's front of Al Bundy's front door. Well, I, I uh, uh, apology accepted. I, I gotta go now. Bye. Oh no! Look, oh, no, <laughs> look, you know, being a famous actress, I, I guess I've gotten used to having my own way, and well, I might have forgotten that other people have feelings too. But without those people, I'm not a famous star. I'm just an average woman so you know she seems very genuine don't you think in terms of like how she feels sorry about how she treated him yeah i don't know i to me it was obvious that she was gonna burn him (laughs) she wanted that picture one way or the other (laughs) and she was gonna burn him but yeah i can see what you're saying what'd you think sheila was it was obvious to you well yes because you you know what the payoff is going to be that al's never gonna you know get the trophy (laughs) at the end right so you know that like he's being set up but for what she wanted to accomplish i think that she delivered the lines that she wanted to have him believe oh absolutely yeah definitely no, but I, but I would say it's like, you know, definitely her acting. I mean, it's like a lot of times you get people unmarried with children who are playing themselves and like they ham it up. They over-exaggerate yeah. themselves. We had, for example, Wolfman Jack or we had Gilbert Gottfried back in, uh, yeah. in season nine. Uh, and we've had, you know, people who play themselves. And again, like they're, they're playing to the camera. Like to me, she actually seemed like almost sincere. Like, you know, she didn't seem like she was trying to ham it up. When in the initial scene when she's in front of the cabin, yes. But in this scene, it's like she seems a little more authentic. So, I mean, I have to give her credit for that. 
Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, definitely. I watched a lot of the Family Jewels when it was on. Um, I'm I'm generally allergic to reality TV, but I did enjoy that show and seeing her in that show in their life. Yes, part of it is put on, but you still do see their regular interactions. And that part of this show where she's talking to Al on the, the stoop, it did feel like more of the authentic Shannon that you came to know in the in the reality show. So I thought this was really like a, a true a true to herself kind of a portrayal, whereas the beginning part was like this put on element about her character or about a persona. But yeah, like she was definitely a little bit more believable until she, you know, had her her Hollywood self come out on him. <laughs> I felt I felt bad for him. With way above average hooters. <laughs> well, thank you. God and Dr. Markowitz have been kind. <laughs> anyway, I felt so bad after I got home that I, I talked it over with my, my shrink, my herbalist, the counter boy at Starbucks, and they all agreed. Shannon, you're a taker, they said. You've got to start giving. Well, you, you were giving pretty good in that shower scene and in decent behavior. Well, thank you, but that was acting. This is real. So Al, so she says that she's just an average woman, and Al says with way above average hooters. <laughs> I guess that's where I guess that's where his mind always goes, huh? Yeah. But hey, I when she was honest, she said, you know, it's not all her it's not all her doing. Yeah, God and Dr. Markowitz. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually I did look this up. <laughs> You're gonna laugh. I, I wanted to see if there was a Dr. Markowitz who was a plastic surgeon. Oh, stop. In, is there? in Beverly Hills, and yes, there is. Of course there is. <laughs> That's cool. I mean, I bet you he really appreciated or he or she really appreciated uh you know, getting the plug there on the on national television. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's the same one, but uh, I'm just saying, like I just said, you know, Dr. Markowitz, oh. I figured, you know, she lives in Beverly Hills, right? <laughs> and sure enough, I found one. And also, you know, one of the things uh, is, uh, Sheila, they, they love these tropes. So, like, if you're going to have a plastic surgeon, it's probably going to be a Markowitz. <laughs> yeah. You know? It's going to be something very stereotypical. That's right. Yeah. It's not going to be uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Luigi. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. The likelihood of a Dr. McGann is going to be far lower on that that totem pole. No. Yeah. A bartender named Dr. McGann, though, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Definitely. You know, definitely. Again, playing to the uh, stereotypes. The stereotypes, exactly. Yeah. So here's another funny line. You know, she said, you know, she talked it over with her shrink, her herbalist, and the counter boy at Starbucks. <laughs> 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 yeah, and that seems to like play into again the stereotype of like you know these Hollywood uh, types who you know <laughs> they have this uh, uh, entourage of uh, people who really they shouldn't be talking to, right? I mean, maybe the shrink, I believe, but the herbalist and the counter boy at Starbucks. I mean, well, again, plays up to some of those stereotypes. But I mean, like, good on them for being like you know in tune with the pop culture. Like you know your your counter boy at Starbucks. It's somebody you would see pretty much every day, so. Yeah, she might run stuff past him. Who knows? And, you know, and the other thing is, you know, I give Shannon Tweed and anyone else credit on this episode in the sense that we know that they know that they're hamming it up and they know that they're almost making fun of themselves or like these fictional versions of themselves. So you have to give them credit for like going along for the joke. 
right? Because I mean, some yeah, mm-hmm. being a good sport. Yeah, I mean, like yeah. some people wouldn't uh, that would be offended by that. I mean, obviously, for them to be on the show, they can't be offended by it. But you know, not everyone always uh, <laughs> likes that. Right. There would be some pushback if they were really of a certain mind. Shannon appears to try to seduce Al. If I only knew that I reached you in some way, I'd feel so much better about myself. Oh, Oh, you've reached me. God, you're so sexy if you weren't married. Oh, I'm not married. No, I I, I live alone with with, with my redheaded mother. Oh, what am I talking about? There I go, selfishly giving in to my insatiable lust for you. Insatiable lust? For me? Oh, yeah. Well, that's understandable. You know, I played a little high school ball. (laughs) It really shows. (laughs) Using her wily ways to get what she wants. Yeah. You know, there's an old saying, uh, God made, God gave men two heads, but only enough blood to fill uh, only enough blood to use one head at a time, or something. Yeah, like to that. fuel one at a time. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, this is a perfect example. Al was a seconds away from getting ten thousand dollars, or actually twelve thousand dollars five hundred twelve thousand five hundred dollars. Yeah, when he and walked out, he goes out. out there and he completely loses his head. He completely loses, you know, loses composure and just forgets about the money. He actually thinks she wants, she really wants to seduce him, you know. <laughs> yeah, but he li- he's not married. No, I'm not married. I live with my redheaded mother. <laughs> right. like, like, and I totally think this is this like you know. Again, we talked about gross exaggeration. This is a gross exaggeration of men, but like, I feel like a woman would never fall for this. Like, if a woman, like, if you were to flip the roles here. A woman would not be this stupid and would not be dumb enough to fall for this, you know. If she had twelve thousand five hundred dollars in the bank, she would cash that ticket. She wouldn't go out and let the, you know, the other person seduce her. You know what I'm saying? Trying yep. to say here? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is totally something a guy would be like, fall I for. S- you know? I smell a rat. Yeah. <laughs> right. There's no way. Like, there's no way a woman would fall for this. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, he mentions that he played a little high school ball. <laughs> <laughs> He was probably about to mention that he scored four touchdowns in one game, but she cut him off. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh, God. She says it really shows. Shannon, you may not understand what I'm about to do, but always remember that I do this for you. Oh. Oh. Al, what are you doing with that envelope? <laughs> Did you swallow that whole thing? Yep. So he takes that envelope with the picture in the negative and he folds it up and puts it in his mouth. Now, you know, I would have liked to have seen that as be like, like for him to really have eaten it. So for the camera to have stayed on him, right, where he swallows. But but they cut that. You know, they, they cut away to her face and then back to him. So now he doesn't have the that thing folded in his mouth, right? So now Shannon shows her hand. It it looked like there was a photograph in it. Yeah. Of me in a hot tub? Uh, uh, yeah. (laughs) You. Blue collar. Brown panted. Shoe-selling yokel. 
Despite what Siskel and Ebert say, I am quite an accomplished actress, as you so clearly demonstrated today. So the next time you want to see me in a hot tub, you rent my upcoming straight-to-video classic, Ernest Pays for Sex. <laughs> and don't forget to rewind. I like how she says, you know, you blue-collar, brown pants, shoe-selling yokel. <laughs> <laughs> it was the brown pants again. It was like, you're getting very particular, very, you know, down into the weeds to insult this guy. Back to the mangy shoe salesman, you know. <laughs> and, and I actually looked up, just because I, I hear the word yokel a lot, but I didn't know the true definition. A yokel is an uneducated and unsophisticated person from the countryside. So, yeah, being called a yokel is certainly not a compliment by any stretch. <laughs> and I, I love the reference to Siskel and Ebert. Now, you know, yeah. what, what I find interesting about that is they haven't been a pair. Now, mind you, I believe it's uh, Siskel died in 99, right? Mm -hmm. But it's like we still talk, like when people review movies, I think to this day in my head, even though it's been over 20 years, I still think of Siskel and Ebert. Same. I know, that was one of the references, too, that I put in my notes. I was like, oh, my God, people won't actually know what that is, like, if they're watching this first run. Uh, at the Movies, which was originally Siskel and Ebert in the movies, and later at the Movies with Ebert and Roper, was an American movie review television program produced by Disney, ABC Domestic Television, in which two film critics share their opinions of newly released films. Its original hosts were Roger, Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel, the former host of Sneak Previews on PBS and a sim similarly tilted syndicated series. Following Siskel's death in 1999, Ebert worked with various guest critics until choosing Chicago Sun-Times colleague Richard Roper as his regular partner beginning in the year 2000. I'm saying, and that's been 20, that's 20 years ago, but I mean, in my head, it's always Siskel and Ebert. Same, same here. So Shannon says, so the next time you want to see me in a hot tub, you should rent my upcoming straight-to-video classic, Ernest Pace for Sex, and don't forget to rewind. <laughs> hey, Burns, I just love these outer space movies, don't you? This is my all-time favorite one, too. This is called Attack of the Moon, people, and this is where the evil Vendor sends his atomic virus space pod to Earth to paralyze everybody so him and his evil buddies can just waltz in, big as you please, and stomp the living daylights out of everybody. Oh no! It's Vendor's moon pod. Oh no! We're gonna be paralyzed, and Vendor's gonna come in here and stomp the living daylights out of us. Hey Vern! Hey Vern! Hey Vern! It's me. I'm on TV. I laughed so hard because I, I I loved those Ernest movies. Do you guys remember those Ernest movies? Of course. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, I loved the like Ernest goes to camp. Ernest scared stupid. Like Chris, uh, like I mean, you're talking about like our wheelhouse of childhood. Like we were probably like Luigi, what like eight or ten when those Ernest movies started coming out. But he had a show on like Nickelodeon as well. Sure. And yeah. that's sort of like where we grew up on Ernest. So yeah. So I mean, like we were we were his prime audience. So like when I was like like watching this one now for this uh, episode, I like you laugh so loud. Ernest pays for sex. And yeah. then, like, the, you know, be kind, rewind, or don't forget to rewind that she says. And, like, who's going to get that except people that are our age? Right. That's blockbuster reference right there. Imagine the perfect video store. 
It would have a great selection, right? Right. Over 10,000 videos. Three evening rentals, so no rush, no hassle. Fast checkout. 24-hour quick drop return. Open late every night. Well, the perfect video store. Welcome to Blockbuster Video. Is popping up all over the country. There's one near you. Yeah, so, you know, yeah. that's a great reference. So uh, let's talk about Blockbuster. Yeah, I was going to mention, did you guys know that there's actually still a Blockbuster open? It's um, it's in Bend, Oregon. It's the last one open on yeah, Earth. Yeah, <laughs> you know, there's a great, there's a great um, biography, I guess you might call it, show about it on Netflix uh, that came out last uh -huh. year. Uh, and I was watching it. I thought it was fabulous. And I actually shared it with Alex. I was texting with him, uh, and uh, he watched it and enjoyed it as well. Big recommend to all of our fans out there. You should check that out. It tells the story of Blockbuster, its rise and its fall. Yeah, talk about yeah. like a company with you know uh, just a lack of awareness of the changing tide of its own industry. Yep. I mean, like I spent hours of my childhood there hours just trying to pick out a movie for a Friday, you know? And then now, now I just flip through a dozen streaming services <laughs> trying to find the same movie. Right. Yeah, definitely. At one point, I think they had an opportunity to buy Netflix very early in the game. And Stop, uh, really? Know, th their thought process was, well, we know our customers and our customers are loyal. They like coming into the stores. They like the experience. And boy, were they wrong. <laughs> wow. Talk about yeah. hubris. Wow. Right. Well, you know, it's, it's like being, you know, being able to keep up with the times. Sheila, like Chris and I have spoke, you know, talk a lot about technology, like in terms of like what we see in, mm -hmm. uh, in Married with Children. And it's like that period, 1987 to you know, 1995, you know, we've talked about beepers, dial up, right. um, you know, I mean, if you remember even, you know, computers without dial-up, like, you know, if you remember back in the early 90s. Yeah, like a Commodore, yeah, right. Commodore 64 and stuff. You know, yeah. uh, cell phones, what they were like. I mean, today, you know, you talk about a, a phone or a mobile phone, and it's effectively a computer that one of the applications on it allows you to make phone calls. But, you know, you can... I don't use that for, I don't use my phone for that. <laughs> but I'm saying, it, like, because if you think about it, it's like one of the things that, of the thing that you pair in your pocket, it's just that one piece of it but there's like yeah you have a calculator you have a a, a, a camera a compass for crying out loud right. like and if you go back to the past it's like you know if if you didn't want to uh if you didn't want to be in touch with someone you could very easily do it in the past now you can't yeah it's now it's it's willful if you if you're not in touch yeah, so one of the things I want to point out about the Ernest movies, there are, based on this, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine films where it says, er, begin with Ernest, you know, does something. So Ernest pays for sex must have, would have been the 10th. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty funny. Somehow, I, I, I yeah. cracked up. Somehow I think Jim Varney would have, uh, would have probably done that one for free. <laughs> oh, yeah, he would have. Oh, absolutely. And she delivered that line so good, too. <laughs> and, you know, like when she turns around, I don't know if like you notice her face as she's moving. It's like she has like this laugh and spurk on her face. Yeah, yeah like, I yep. felt like she was trying not to laugh. Yeah. And, and, like it's, it's like either it's either she was trying not to laugh or it's like she was just like so the real Shannon Tweed was very 
what's the word I'm looking for? She was very proud of herself for the how she was able to deliver it, you know, mm-hmm. while keeping a straight face. You know, you know, because it's like you know you're you're walking off like off camera, but it's like almost like they got a glimpse of her as like you know she's coming out of character as she's walking off. But I thought that was yeah. that was great. Now, <laughs> Al, Al, I got them up to twenty five thousand. Now I think we should make like Waterworld and close immediately. I'm joking. But why are you joking? I said I'm joking! Oh, you're choking! Okay, let me help you out. There, did, did you swallow what was stuck in your throat? Yes, Jefferson, I did. Good, and you're not choking anymore. No. But you are! Jefferson's happy that he has them up to $25,000. <laughs> so he says, I think we should make like Waterworld and close immediately. <laughs> So, uh, Waterworld is a 1995 American post-apocalyptic action film directed by Kevin Reynolds and co-written by Preta Raider and David Tui. It's based on Raider's original 1986 screenplay and stars Kevin Costner, who also produced it with Charles Gordon and John Davis, and was distributed by Universal Pictures. This film suffered from runaway costs. It had a budget of 172 million, but the total outlay was about 235 million once marketing and distribution costs were factored in. But it only grossed 88 million in the US and the North American box office and overseas 176 million for a total of 264. So <laughs> it didn't do very, very well. It took a while for it to become profitable. So Al cho- decides to choke Jefferson <laughs> once uh, <laughs> he fully swallows that uh, picture in negative. So I have a question for you guys. Y'all probably remember better than me because I was so young at the time. But you would you you take film to be developed, you know, and they give you the pictures, you know, like a week later or whatever, several days later or whatnot. If you want to pay extra an hour later. Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. And then they came out with the hour, the one hour developed. Yeah. Wouldn't that place still have the negatives? No, they give you the negatives. Yeah, you got them back. They give they give you the negatives. Okay, so I guess okay, so he swallowed the entire envelope that had the photo, the negatives. Correct. That's right. Okay, because I was like, couldn't he just go back and have them develop again? Yeah, well, no, because you see, back that's why they had to put the negative in the envelope. Now, because like like Sheila points out, back then, let's say you had some pictures, like let's say you took a special event, let's say it's like a kid's birthday, and you wanted more copies of it. Nowadays, what would you do? You would probably scan it. You know, I mean, well, nowadays you'd have it on your phone and you text it to somebody, right? And they keep it on their phone. But back then, it's like if you wanted to give grandma photos, it's like, well, you would just take the negatives back to the photo mat and they would reprint them for you. And that was the best way of getting the photos with the same level of quality. Because back then, if you had a photo and you wanted to make a copy of the photo and didn't have a negative, they would take a picture of the picture. And generally, you would lose quality, photo quality. So the only way you could get the original quality is to have the original negative. Yeah, that makes sense. So we cut back to the Bundy living room, and Al is in a hospital gown. Come on. <laughs> so how was the hospital? Any luck getting the negative out? No, Al's stomach acid dissolved it. <laughs> They did find three quarters of a commemorative Slim Jim left over from Super Bowl XII. That's what I've been tasting all these years. 
Well, despite losing the 25000 and the cost for the visit to the hospital and the vintage Slim Jim, <laughs> on the bright side is, whenever you're down, there's always TV to pick you back up. <laughs> so, so they say that, you know, Al's stomach acid dissolved it. <laughs> but they found three quarters of a commemorative Slim Jim left over from Super Bowl twelve. <laughs> Now, I can't say that I've ever eaten a Slim Jim. Same. Oh, I have. So, uh, why don't you tell us, Chris? Yeah, Slim Jim. Well, two reasons. One, it's just something I grew up eating it. And two, I was a big wrestling fan. And uh, the Macho Man Randy Savage um, used to do his famous commercials. Yes, I do. Uh, Yes, Yes. I do. Sure. Step into a Slim Jim. Step into a Slim Jim. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, so how many high school boys does it take to change a light bulb? <laughs> what a light up for life. Yeah! Give me Slim Jim. Turn to the spice. <laughs> Baby, do the dice. Need a little statement. Step into a Slim Jim. So Slim Jim is an American brand of jerky snacks or dried sausage sold globally and manufactured by Conangra Brands. They are widely popular. They're wi- widely available and popular in the U.S. with 2015 revenues of 575 million. About 500 million are produced annually in at least 21 varieties. I mean, when you think about 575 million in revenue, that that's a really high number when you consider they basically make one thing. Dried sausage, and, and some of them come with cheese in it as well. That's the only thing they produce, and they have annual revenue of $575 million. Wow. Pretty, pretty effective. All right. And, uh, you know, they, they make this crack on Super Bowl twelve, and I'm just trying to – I mean, I'm not a football guy. I mean, I don't know, Sheila, if you know anything about football, but uh, what's so special about Super Bowl twelve? I, I, I don't know. It would have been, what, like 1972 or something? Yeah, I was going to say, my guess is just the fact that it was so long ago at the time. It would have been, you know, 20, it would have been 17, 17 or 18 years, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> you know, or maybe, you know what, there may be, maybe the writer, yeah, maybe the writer producer was a really big fan of of that particular Super Bowl. I don't know. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Yeah, Super Bowl Twelve was an American football game between the NFC champion Dallas Cowboys and the AFC champion Denver Broncos to decide the NFL champion for the 1977 season. The Cowboys defeated the Broncos 27-10 to win their second Super Bowl. The game was played on January 15, 1978 at the Louisiana Superdome in New Orleans. This was the first Super Bowl in a dome stadium, and the first time that the game was played in prime time in the eastern U.S. So just looking at those last two lines, it was a landmark for the Super Bowl. It was the first time the entire country saw it in prime time, and it was the first time it was played in a a domed stadium. So that's a pretty big event. I feel remiss. You know, uh, Sheila will understand this. It's like I I know very little about football, although the most famous uh, (laughs) uh, Super Bowl uh, a coach, manager of all time, Vince Lombardi, graduated from our high school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Wow>. Sorry, Vince. <laughs> yeah, it's not a slight. It's just, uh, I mean, I, I do watch football, but I don't know enough to 
you know, have, have known why Super Bowl Twelve was significant. So we end this episode with uh, Kelly coming in, and uh, we get to see the dog commercial. Hey, everybody, listen. The Hungry Puppy commercial is going to come on. Is your puppy hungry? Then get him Hungry Puppy Dog Food, the only food that puppies prefer to their own tails. <laughs> if Doggy's nose is dry and his tongue is black and his ribs are showing through his back, give him Hungry Puppy a bite or two and your starving mutt will be good as new. Meow! I love puppy hungry. That's hungry puppy. Yeah, what what he said. And it's not what we thought it was. <laughs> so, 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 what did you guys think of that commercial? I, I mean, like, I did. Like, I laughed. I laughed, and I eye rolled at the same time. <laughs> Again, just playing into the stereotypes, but I did find it very funny. Yeah, I never saw that coming. I still remember my first viewing of this as a kid, and I thought it was just going to be Lucky running through the obstacle course when it was Kelly in that costume. I laughed so hard. You, you got to remember, I was I would have been 11, 12 when this episode came out, so I didn't get a lot of the adult jokes, but I enjoyed, you know, the craziness and the zaniness of the of the show, and this killed me as a kid. I I just remember laughing so hard, and Christina Applegate just she does it so well. Her delivery of everything, she just owns it, you know. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, one of the things we say on this show. Uh, when we talk about it, Sheila, is how it takes an intelligent person to play stupid very well. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. So, yeah, I'll agree with that. Yeah. You know, so it's like, you know, the way that she plays it up to the camera, you know, I mean, it's like, I think at the end of the day, like the director wanted TNA, right? <laughs> so she's <laughs> so she's in this, you know, um, costume, you know, like the skin type costume and like she's wiggling her butt. <laughs> and like I love how like she messes up the animals. It's like it's the cat. Then it's like you know she she, she then she like it's like, a, it's like the dog. <laughs> then she moves like a cow and like you know she's like almost scratching herself like she has fleas. And she messes yeah. yeah. It's like it's, <laughs> it's like and and Kelly and yeah and at the very end Kelly's celebrating as if she did a great job. Yeah, yeah she's proud of herself. That's the yeah. Final shot. Yeah, she's proud of her shot. She's saying moo and meow and. <laughs> oh god whatever whatever he said for the dog right. food name yeah oh god no ma'am we'll be right back to wrap up this week's review be sure to join their facebook group page for all the podcast news and updates be sure to subscribe to them on the apple podcast app and please leave a review telling them what you think of the show to subscribe to their youtube channel just go to channels and search up Married with Children podcast. Join their Patreon and support your favorite podcast with a small monthly donation. You can email them at marriedwchildrenpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for checking out this review. And we're back. Okay, so Chris, 
How many 90s sitcoms do you want to slam for this episode? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I really like this episode. It's uh, probably my second favorite episode of season 10 behind the the Terry Bradshaw episode. Uh, But I really, really enjoy this episode. I'm, I'm so glad that we got to review it. I feel like the writing is really strong in it. Uh, it has a great B plot, you know, uh, the the uh, the B plot with uh, Kelly and Bud and Lucky there was very strong. The A plot was amazing, you know. I, I enjoyed the uh, the guest stars we had, Shannon Tweed and uh, the uh, Swedish bikini uh, or the Swedish uh, masseuses. I feel like it was just a great scenario that they put Al and Jefferson there, and Al had a chance to win, you know, finally get some money and get uh, you know get back at someone who wronged him, but in typical Al Bundy fashion, you know, he shot himself in the foot. But I feel like the writing was uh, very strong. I had a lot of pop culture references from the 90s, which is, you know, the decade that I grew up in. So I got, you know, a good number of these references even as a kid. Uh, and looking back, I laugh at it hilariously now. So this is one of my favorite episodes uh, in the later seasons. And I feel like they did a very, very good job. And I am going to give it four and a half 90s sitcoms out of five. <laughs> Very good. Okay, so Sheila, how many 90s sitcoms are you going to slam for this episode? <laughs> Let's see. I don't know. I mean, they, they had some heavy hitters in this one to slam. Um, I enjoyed this. I Like I said, I hadn't been back to Married with Children in a very long time. And to like step back into this realm with this episode, Chris, to your point, I think the writing was really good. It, like I remembered like the joke a minute elements of the sitcom aspect of that that we got here. And I felt that that was very strong. I didn't mind the uh, the B plot of bringing in Lucky and Bud and Kelly because the interaction between them and sort of the payoff of that that plot really kind of like just hit this one out of the park for me. It was uh, it was a lot of fun to watch. It was like I watched it I think three times just to get ready for this, and I found myself just like anticipating the jokes and really just waiting for that. So I was excited to uh, to be part of you know getting back into Married with Children and being on here. So I will give it as well four and a half out of five 90s sitcoms getting slammed. All right. Wow. Pretty high scores. Uh, We'll talk about that in in a minute, uh, Sheila. So uh, for this episode, I am going to give it, I am going to slam four 90s sitcoms for this. I really liked the episode. I thought that the writing was excellent. There was a lot of, uh, again, this is a late, you know, a late series episode for Married with Children. So there's a lot of TNA, you know, and usually that's not the kind of thing that actually draws me to an episode. You know, I, I, I think I've said on this podcast before, I love good writing. I love good humor. I like sophisticated humor, double entendre. The humor in the later seasons is very much in your face. You know, it's it's not sort of like that early early season type of humor, but it worked. And I think, you know, even like, you know, as I, I think I gave a lot of credit to Shannon Tweed in this. It's like, so she's sort of playing up herself and she's playing a fictional version of herself. But I think she was very good, especially in her interaction with Al. It looked very believable. It looked genuine. And even when like she sort of shows her hand, and uh, sort of tells Al like she was in on like knowing what, exactly what was going on. 
it just seemed very believable to me. You know, and I feel like when she turned around like to exit the scene, it's like I think like she was very satisfied with herself. I think that's what when we see that smile. Like I think she was satisfied that she could deliver it uh, properly. So I give that. Um, so I give the episode of four. Um, I won't go higher than that uh, because you know I feel like it, it probably a couple of areas it could have been done maybe a little bit better, a little more finesse to it. But um, very good, very good solid four for me. Now, you know, one of the things, Sheila, about uh, season 10 and 11, what we've, what we've talked about as uh, we've been reviewing these now, is that usually we say that in the later seasons of Married with Children, the show had started to run out of gas. And, mm-hmm. you know, critically looking at these episodes, you know, I think both Chris and I, Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, we went into this thinking that we'd be giving some of these episodes much lower scores. But so far, for the episodes that we reviewed this season, They've come out pretty good. I mean, we've actually given some pretty good scores, you know, looking at the episode on its own. I mean, would you agree? Yeah, I would, actually. Definitely. So, you know, not bad for a show that is in its 10th season, you know, and it still seems relevant and fresh. Right. It is 25 years removed from when it originally aired. So it's like, how is it holding up against the test of time as well? Correct. One of the things we do in this podcast is we talk about the nostalgia elements and, you know, we talk about what was going on during that time period. And, you know, we include things like commercials and, you know, other types of media that, you know, was familiar just to set the tone. But something like this with I'm saying it, I believe that if someone was a young person, let's say someone who's 20 years old, who's watching this, you know, and <laughs> so somebody born in 2001, Watching this, I mean, maybe not may not get some of those '90s references, but I think a person would still laugh. It's still funny. Yeah, I'll agree with that. They, they might have to ask their parents, "What does uh, don't forget to rewind mean?" <laughs> or who's Brett Butler, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, Sheila, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. Yeah. So, why don't you tell the fans a little bit about your podcast? Like, where can they find you? So I'm on Twitter. Um, I'm Shields McGangsta on Twitter, and um, I'm there pontificating about all things entertainment. But you can also find Pod Clubhouse on all the social media platforms at Pod Clubhouse. And there you'll find interviews, you'll find TV reviews, you'll find something called the Love It or Leave It, where we'll review a whole season of a, of a show, and we'll tell you if it's worth your time or not, just to help you sift through that pop culture world. There's, uh, there's reviews on film festivals and comic cons and live events. So yeah, there's, there's something for everybody at pod clubhouse and you're always welcome to join pod clubhouse. Now, uh, one more question for you, Sheila. So how is like the way that, you know, we do our podcast, you know, the same or different than yours? Similar. Uh, I mean, you know, some, some of the, the setup on pod clubhouse, what we'll do is we'll cover like a season. So we'll cover each episode in depth and they're typically, contemporary shows that are out so we're trying to do it like in time for when the episode drops so we get screener access for a lot of different things so we'll get to see stuff ahead of time so it's not always in its final production so it's it's a little bit different because we're, we're usually up against the clock and we're trying to like juggle everyone's schedules to try to get everything out but in terms of the format it's pretty much the same like we would have like questions lined up about about the show about the episode about the plot and then if there's any like culture references, 
and it's it's always better to do it with more than one person because I may have missed the the you know Brett Butler reference and forgetting that Grace Under Fire was a show. So you want to have like these different perspectives and these different opinions to to see you know who remembers what and then you end up having like great banter conversation like the the blockbuster conversation you know like I live for these tangents in podcasts really because like I feel like that's where like you get to see the personality of the hosts and how they interact with each other so I I think there's a lot of similarities in how um like the pod clubhouse setup is is to yours yeah, and you know, and Chris can attest to this. I mean, we're just copying something that our creator of this podcast did because we didn't want to mess with perfection, right, Chris? Yeah, like if you have something yeah, that works, definitely. just you keep it going, right? If it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? That's right, right, Chris. We're not. Yeah, exactly. we're not. We're not that creative, right? <laughs> no, and I, but it, no, I wouldn't shoot yourself in the foot because it does take a lot to keep something like this fresh for people who are either new to it or people who have grown up with the show, so to speak, to make something that is 25, 26 years old relevant today. So I, you know, I wouldn't knock yourself because there is an art to this and there is, you know, a, a way to build an audience and having a good template and having, you know, predictable features like your ratings and things like that are things that your fans would look forward to. And we have a great group of fans. Well, that's what makes it all worth it. Uh, yeah, right? I mean, like we 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 still get peanuts on our Patreon, but uh, at this point, we really don't care anymore, right, Chris? <laughs> right. Yeah, it's just all about the fun for me. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think we could get maybe like a one beer a month at the nudie bar. Uh, I think at, at, at most. <laughs> maybe if you save up, you can get it. I, I fish, therefore I am sweatshirt. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Sheila, thanks again, and uh, be sure, you know, to our fan base out there, be sure to check her out. All right, and Sheila, can you give us that info one more time? Yeah, sure. It's Pod Clubhouse on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, podclubhouse.com, and yeah, definitely check out Pod Clubhouse. There's something for everybody there. Awesome. All right. And that's it for this week's episode of the Married with Children podcast. Tune in next week for Dud Bowl 2. Marcy's Bank Kyoto National plans to donate a new scoreboard to Polkai and name it after Polkai's most famous football alumnus. Al, having scored four touchdowns in a single game, assumes it's him. But Marcy hates Al and is determined to find another football star just to spite him. When she learns that NFL All-Star Terry Bradshaw attended Polkai for two months, she thinks she has found her man. While Kelly tries to talk to Bradshaw about letting Al have the title, Al Jefferson and Bud conspire to destroy the scoreboard. So again, thanks again. Thank you again, Sheila. And tune in next week. Same Bundy time, same Bundy channel.